Perception. Yeah, it's a very tricky illusion. I was 37 when mine started to take a shift, but you would think by then that I would sort of know myself. And I'm sure I thought I did. I probably even thought that I knew a thing or two about life. I remember believing that life was something to be survived, and I braced myself for all of its unexpected turns. But then it took just one slight turn that I most definitely was not expecting, but it turns out to be the one and only truth out of everything. Everything that I thought I knew about myself and about the world. And this one truth made everything else finally make perfect sense. After this discovery, it's allowed me to completely shed all other illusions that were keeping me in a place of suffering, experiencing fear and pain, stress, sickness, but most of all, lack, feeling as if I'm missing something. My name is Tiffany D'Elia, and this is my story. I told this story a lot differently four years ago. A change in perspective will do that for you. In fact, it's quite challenging to even tell it, only in the sense that it feels like it belongs to someone else. And in a way, it does. See, I no longer identify with the experiences or the person of the story. And even though I'm most grateful for each and every bit of the suffering that was faced, and I know that it was not only necessary, but it was a choice. My choice. And it all led me right here. Right here to the beginning of what I now only understand to be something greater than the I referred to in this story. I was three when my parents divorced. Living without my dad left me questioning a lot of things that no child should ever wonder about themselves. I moved from Kentucky to North Carolina with my mom and I remember feeling a lot of confusion and sadness over the changes that seemed to be taking place all so quickly. I watched both my parents remarry other spouses, each having two more children, and I remember feeling really out of place and disconnected from both of them. By age six, I'm sure I had already formed my own ideas of what I thought about the world, and I'm sure I had some kind of idea of what kind of kid I was, too. I often felt misunderstood and overlooked. I never felt like I fit in anywhere. With every space I occupied, I felt so out of place. At school, home, church, on the playground, all except for one place. Yeah, if there was one place that I felt more comfortable and safe to be myself, it would be at my grandparents' house. They lived right next door to me for most of my life, and I spent as much time as I could there. They had this really cool tree in their yard that it was my favorite place to hang out, and I'd be up there sitting in between two branches, either reading a book or drawing in my little art pad. Or it would be my favorite place to just sit up there and daydream. And every summer I would be in their swimming pool pretending to be a mermaid. That's another thing. My imagination was completely out of this world. I loved being immersed in it. I loved being with my grandparents. I called them Nanny and Grandpa. They were both Reiki masters and they worked with pendulums and crystals and herbs. And my grandmother was very intuitive. She was able to speak to the other side, a medium. She would sit in meditation and she'd get certain messages and insights. And I'm not sure she ever saw me watching, but I did. And I noticed that her energy was so much different than anyone else I'd ever known. I was drawn to my nanny in ways that I knew that no one else could relate to. 
I would always go to her and my grandpa and ask questions about the universe and past lives and so much of what some people would think was just off the wall crazy, you know, but I could ask them anything. And if they had an answer for me, I remember thinking, wow, well, that makes sense. And what I found most fascinating was, which is a term that I didn't know back then, but quantum energetics. They were very metaphysical and they taught me a whole lot giving me my first intro into manipulating energy to heal the body and the mind. I began learning Reiki at age eight, drawing out the symbols, and then I'd go out there and practice on animals. A couple years would go by and Grandpa would say, okay, I think you're ready for the next level. So I'd sit there and I'd practice drawing the next symbol. I remember him teaching me how to do Reiki from a distance and how to send messages telepathically. And we'd practice a lot on each other. I love this type of work, and even though my mom, at the time, she thought of it as dark magic, but, you know, it's something that she just doesn't understand, but I never saw it that way, and it literally made more sense to me than anything else I was being told at the time. My grandparents ended up moving to Utah when I was about 14. We went to visit them that summer, and that's when I received the Reiki Master Attunement. Ah, that summer was one I will never forget in terms of the energy that was flowing through me as I was out there and as we were visiting some of the surrounding areas. For me, it was our time in Arizona. That was the most unforgetful experience. I felt so many intense emotions. It felt like home. I felt safe. I felt so much love and peace. The energy there was very intense. And I was so open to it. It really sparked something in me. And I couldn't share it with anyone on the ride home. And I didn't expect them to understand. But I went on thinking about this feeling for weeks. And I longed to feel that again. But I kept learning more and more about the energy of the body. And how I was able to mindfully and lovingly work to manipulate these subtle energies of the biofield. It felt like it was a part of what I was supposed to do, and I felt really good doing it. But of course, this work and my studies were always kept secret. Everyone in the rest of my family had different beliefs and other ways of doing things. I was raised United Pentecostal, so I was introduced to God at a pretty young age, and I was baptized at eight. I witnessed miracles. I felt God's presence, and I experienced God's unconditional love. The presence of God was a place where I felt so much peace and comfort. At home, I felt home, very similar to how I felt in Arizona and whenever I watched my grandmother. Yeah, it was something about the stillness, like when I would watch her meditate. That same feeling I got when I would watch her was what I felt when I connected to God. Whether it was in prayer or in deep concentration of God's love and forgiveness, I would open my heart and allow this presence to flow in and through me. Yeah, there was no denying that there is a God. And there's only one. And God is the only Savior. We were taught this at a very young age and it resonated with me very deeply. But there were a lot of teachings that didn't. And this triggered my curiosity. I grew up observing, questioning. I questioned a lot of things. To myself, of course, I would not dare to ask these questions out loud. But I knew a lot of really good people who believed in other gods, who didn't worship Jesus the way I did. So there was a lot of confusion as to why my religion was the only right 
in the eyes of God. And I did question why God cared so much about what I wore and the way I looked. I didn't understand why I had to wear only dresses and why I would be punished or made to feel like a sinner whenever I snuck out in pants when I was 15. I was told that my truth was the only truth and that it was up to me to show up in the world with a certain type of cleanliness and modesty in order to be the light for others to see. So I grew up with a lot of confusion, and I started to have a lot more questions. Some of the questions I had growing up was, how can this loving presence that I feel so deeply inside of me only accept the ones who have just this one way of believing into heaven? And with over 7 billion people in the world, with way less than even 1% having the same beliefs and convictions as I do, how can they just be disregarded and left behind to suffer? And if there is a heaven and a hell, then why is it that when we officiate a funeral, I hear the pastor speak the same way about every person, whether they were a believer or not, or whether they were saved or not? No one wants to believe or accept that their loved one is spending an eternity in hell, regardless what you're being told. You still want to believe that God, who is a forgiving God, has welcomed or will welcome your loved one into heaven. So this means if there is a hell, then who actually goes there? Because murderers and sinners, they still have loved ones. Yet, their loved ones are expected to go on living their life here on earth, knowing that someone they love is going to suffer an eternity of hell? I know God would not want that. So these questions just kept coming up, and although I was really confused growing up, there was certainly no denying that there is, in fact, a God. I just wasn't so sure that I believed the church's perception of God, or their idea of the way to God, or in life in general. And I certainly did not believe that I was to remain separate from the world. How was I supposed to be in the world, but not of it? Even though all of this didn't feel accurate, am I supposed to believe it anyway? There's a whole world out there, different cultures with their own way of seeing the world, other religions, and other ways of life. I wanted to know all about them too, so I could make my own decision. Once I had more information, I needed and wanted to know more. There is no denying that I was a big thinker. Still am. It took me years to figure out why so many people asked me to smile or ask why the serious face. I just think it was because there was never a moment when I wasn't in deep contemplation of all things. But not having the answers to my questions made me feel very disconnected. Like pieces of me were missing and it wasn't satisfying. At age 12, I began learning sign language, and I interpreted the church services for a few years. I was also on a Bible quiz team, and I really enjoyed that. I was quite good at it, too. We competed with teams from other churches, so I loved going to church for that. But there were a few things going on there that I didn't enjoy, and it was the main reason I wanted to disappear. I experienced many years of sexual abuse from men at church, including my youth pastor, So from ages 15 to 18, you could say I felt completely disconnected from everything I loved. I was totally numb, and I felt alone. 
When my grandmother got sick, she moved back from Utah to stay with us for a little while. I was 15, and one morning I overslept and missed the school bus. The only other person home was my grandma, so I walked into her room and discovered that she had suffered a stroke through the night. She was in really bad shape, and that was one of the hardest turning points of my life to see her in that condition. It was very painful to watch her struggle. Her and my grandfather lived apart while we cared for her, so I didn't see him very much. Right around this time, I'd started my first job. I worked in a cafe of a Christian bookstore. I made five twenty-five an hour, but I absolutely loved that job. We had soups and sandwiches, and I was a pretty good barista, too. That was my favorite part of the job, crafting specialty coffees. I'd work the entire cafe alone almost every night, begging people to let me have their shift on the weekends. For school, I was self-taught at home from grades 5 to 8, so I was ecstatic to be going back to public school again and to be around other students. I loved being in a classroom. Always have. For the four years that I studied at home, all of my learning was done around the dining room table. My mom would take me to these academic book sales where they'd sell books out of an old bus. I would go straight to the high school and college section grabbing all the math and philosophy books I could find. Math and philosophy were my absolute favorite subjects. Whenever it was time for me to go back to high school, I had to take a placement test, and I placed out of a lot of classes. By the middle of 10th grade, I had finished most of the highest classes that they offered, so they let me start taking courses at the local community college right down the road. My first enrollment? Computer programming. Talking about a challenge... My instructor was German and had a very heavy accent. Given the fact that this was a very challenging class to start with, it was so hard having an instructor that none of us could even understand. I was the youngest student in the whole class, and I made it out of there with a C. I was bummed. Then I found out that no one in the class made over a C. I'm pretty sure this was my first C I ever made, but I took it. I took it proudly. What did I learn from the class? Mm, I could tell you that computer programming was certainly not something I wanted to pursue any further. But you know when you're at that age and people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer was always, nah, a psychologist or a teacher. I began psychology courses. I only reported to high school for my electives. Played basketball in my long skirt with the boys, cooking class, Spanish I was president of the Future Teachers of America Club. (laughs) But for the rest of the time, I was either at college or I volunteered as a teacher assistant or a math tutor at the elementary school right down the road. I was a very busy kid with school, work, volunteering, church almost every night of the week, taking care of nanny. Life was constantly go, 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 go. I don't even know how we did it. But my grandmother eventually got to a place where she was ready to move back in with my grandpa. Although it happened to be in Kentucky. I didn't see them very often and this made me really sad. Because I felt like they were the only ones who understood me. Soon to be 16, I was ready to learn how to drive. So my stepfather took me out and taught me to drive on a stick shift. And as soon as I got my license, I drove myself to all the places I needed to be. In my brand new little black Ford Escort. I'm sure I thought I was something in that car. I loved it. I loved my freedom. But I was always very responsible. And I always did everything that was expected of me. I continued in church, attended youth events, 
even still while the sexual stuff was going on. But I was becoming more and more disconnected from who I was by conforming to who and and what I thought I was supposed to be. By doing what I was told and going about what I thought was the right way. Remembering any previous attempts to going with my family about what was going on with me, I learned real quick to just keep to myself. But the day that I turned 18, I left. It was late at night and I walked out of the house with just a small bag of belongings, leaving everything behind, even my car. I walked about a mile down the road to my friend's house. There were two friends that I've known since the third grade and they lived in a small duplex. One lived upstairs with her boyfriend and the other one lived downstairs with her mom. I went to stay with my upstairs friend who knew I was coming. She had some blankets and stuff laid out on the couch for me. They were already in bed so I just sat there watching TV trying everything in me to not cry, with all the emotions exploding inside of me from having walked out of the only life that I had ever known. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do or how I was going to make it out on my own. And as I sat there feeling sick and questioning the decision that I just made, someone walks in the door. He walked in like he knew the place, but I know that I had never met him before, so it startled me. It was my friend's older brother, but I could tell right away that he was on something. I stayed calm and tried talking to him, but he suddenly attacked me. Holding my mouth shut, he proceeded to try and rape me. I fought him until I was able to get him off, and that's when my friend ran into the room, and he ran out the front door. We called the police and made a report, and found out that the police had been looking for him, He was off doing drugs for a few days, and he was wanted. He's been in hiding. That experience was so scary, and it probably should have been a sign for me to go back home, but I didn't. I just started staying with my downstairs friend. I stayed there a while until I moved in with another friend that I had from high school. We were all in the same little clique together, but me and this girl, we were inseparable. We had a lot of fun together, but I stayed in school, and I graduated in May of 2000. Then I met a guy. He was not fresh out of high school. He was about five years older than me, about 23, 24. We saw each other for a little while and I moved in with him. And then less than two years later, we had a baby boy. And then we split. This was the beginning of my adventure into full-on survival mode. I was a 20-year-old single mother and I wanted to prove that I could do it all on my own. But the hard fact was, I just couldn't. So I moved back in with my mom for a little while. I didn't have a clue. It was really hard. And my heart was broken into a million pieces from the split and what had happened. I stayed with her until I found an apartment. I found one for $550 a month, which seemed like a lot of money to me at the time. With that, my car payment, and all the other expenses, I really struggled. And my landlord knew this. I went to the leasing office one day just to ask him if he would please give me a few more days to pay the rent. And that's when he made an advance to me. He said, hey, if you ever come up short on the rent, you know, I'm open to an exchange. And he'd excuse it. Blank face. I just stared at him for a couple of moments. Thank you, but no thank you. That will not be necessary. Got the heck out of there. A couple days later, I saw him walking out of my neighbor's apartment And I knew there had been an exchange that just took place. 
sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I had four days before my rent was due or he was going to proceed with an eviction. I only had $75. That's all I had. So I went to Krispy Kreme Donuts. (laughs) I applied for the fundraiser program. And they let me do it. I bought $75 worth of donuts and I sold them. I doubled my money. And the next day I went back and I bought $150 worth. And I sold those. And just in time I had enough money for my rent and a little extra for food. I went back to that leasing office and handed over my rent money. Gave him my notice and I got the hell out of there. I was 27 when I had my second child. By this time, life had already taken quite a few unexpected turns, I guess you could say. I do have a lot more crazy experiences that maybe I'll share one day, but but just sharing this much with you, I can see why a lot of my experiences played out in the manner that they did. I was only able to react, handle, or respond to each one of those circumstances or challenges the only way that I was initially programmed to, so to speak. I had my own way of viewing the world, just like everyone else has their own way, their own perspective. You're only able to use what data you've been given and nothing more until you change the data, of course, or update or expand the information that you have. But as I'm sharing this with you, it's making me think back and allowing me to see why and how I became so sucked into this illusion of fear and lack and stress and pain and sickness. And I know it it seemed so real. So how can it be just an illusion, right? I mean, just like so many of us, I was introduced to this idea of separation from the beginning of life. It started with my parents' divorce. This pattern that I am separate. We are all separate from one another. Or my outer world is separate from me. And everything in life happens to me. This is at the forefront of every event that took place. I am me. That's him. God is up there somewhere. Why is this happening to me? I have no clue. Maybe I'm not worthy of God's love. Am I being punished? What did I do? This is my perception at the time. I was experiencing a lot of depression, chronic illness, migraines, stress, anxiety, abusive relationships. I was always broke. Anyway, let me get back to the story. My second child was born sick and he was diagnosed with a rare lung disease. We had to spend months at a time in the hospital. This went on for the first three years of his life. I was also attending nursing school the nursing clinical part of my program. I worked at the same hospital for three more years. My body really took a toll. It began attacking itself. It turns out that I had an autoimmune disease. The doctors didn't find out that it was lupus until about five years later, but immediately they put me on fentanyl and oxycodone. I had it prescribed every single month for seven years straight. On top of that, I had a complete pharmacy all kinds of other medications to treat various symptoms, everything you can imagine. But with this disease, I began losing the ability to form words. I developed brain fog so bad that it made it extremely difficult to remember things that I had done just the day before. I had a very hard time driving, lifting things, walking, standing, doing anything, 
really, requiring energy. During this time, I was seeing someone. He was right there to help. He supported me and helped me the entire time that I went through this. I know that it was ugly. My actions were ugly. And the relationship was challenged. We had good times, but I know it wasn't easy. I refer to this time of my life, the dark night of the soul. I was completely lost and imprisoned in my own mind and in my own suffering. But I am so grateful to him for the support that he gave me through all of this. He had to shower me. He brushed my hair. He got me dressed. He did everything that I needed him to. We had two more kids together. So I have a total of four. And I'm so honored to experience this life with them. But as my health declined, I began struggling with the idea of living at all. It was painful. And I was miserable. I wanted it all to end. I remember going to this doctor once. I went to her for a surgery consult for my lower back because I had extreme pain radiating down both of my legs. And she looked at me and asked me if I had perhaps looked into my mind. I can't imagine the look I gave her, but I was absolutely appalled by her accusations that my intense physical pain that is as real as you and me could possibly be a figment of my imagination. I was pissed. I walked out of there feeling like that was my last resort and I'm not getting this surgery. She thinks it's all in my head. I'm done. I'm done. But several months had passed and I couldn't get what she said off my mind. I just kept thinking about it, wondering what could she have meant by that? Of course, I didn't give her a chance to elaborate because she could see it all over my face that I was not ready to receive. But I was desperately at my breaking point, and I needed something, anything to change. That's when I decided, okay, why not try looking into my mind? Let's take a look in there and figure out what's going on. I guess my curiosity was flickering. This is what started me on my journey to self-awareness. I started noticing my thoughts, noticing my emotions, and I saw patterns. It didn't take me long to start seeing patterns in myself and in their outcomes. I kept a journal. I wrote everything down. I did a lot of forgiving, like true forgiving for myself and anyone that ever hurt me. And of course, with the trauma that I shared with you, that was a lot of the big stuff that I I felt. I don't think that I ever had a chance to feel it. And a lot of those experiences were the severing of my lifeline. I was very disconnected from that. So the more that I looked inside at all these things, the more I was able to clear out. And the more that I cleared out, the louder this loving presence became. It was as if I was getting closer and closer to feeling that presence of God inside me. And I began getting very clear guidance. I felt very guided and supported through this entire process. And I listened, not always, but it was a practice, and I got better at it. And then I started noticing and letting go of some old habits, forming new ones, better ones. 
I observed my reactions to things and would notice that there was a shift in the way I reacted to a lot of outer circumstances. Years and years of the same patterns of reactions were suddenly shifting and I was seeing changes in the outcomes. This kept me going and I saw these changes happen quickly. Other things happened as well, like I suddenly lost the taste for meat, just completely. I no longer desired it. I couldn't even eat it if I tried to. And that went on for about four and a half years. And there were some other things that I cut out as far as my diet goes, but not by any recommendation from anyone other than my own inner guidance. I did what felt right by me. And me alone, not worrying what anyone else said or was doing, I listened to this inner voice which got stronger the more I listened, by the way. But for me, it was what was needed for me to heal. It seemed like the more awareness I placed inward and on my thoughts with the intention of healing, the more I was guided to everything that was needing my attention to heal. You would point to this and point to that. I was clearing out everything that was not serving my best interest or my intent to heal my body. That was my focus. As I was doing all of this inner work, I would also practice being in a state of fully healed. I would practice being in that state. I remember practically crawling, holding my weak self up at the sink, looking into the mirror, tears streaming down my face. And I looked at myself and I said, I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. And it took a while before I started to believe it, for it to feel natural, but I practiced it. And the more I practiced being in a state of fully healed, the more natural it became. I would lay there in bed and daydream about some of the things that I would do when I was fully healed. One of the things I really wanted to do at the time was to take my kids to Disney World. But I didn't want to have to ride one of those scooters or be in pain the whole time. But what I would do was imagine the feeling of being at Disney with my kids, walking around, seeing the smiles on their faces, feeling the air through my hair, feeling the excitement as we were riding the rides. I would imagine what the air would smell like smell of the good food, fireworks, and all the lights at night. This was my meditation, and I did it every day. When I was able to sit up straight without hurting, I sat crisscross on the floor. When I was able to walk, I practiced walking meditation, but I practiced being a fully healed person. And not only did I practice this in my imagination, but I practiced this in everything that I did throughout the day. Regardless of what it looked like, regardless what I felt like, I carried the state of being around with me. I also imagined other scenarios that I would do as a healed person, like cooking dinner straight through without having to sit or bend over the counter, or walking through the grocery store instead of riding the scooter through it. And I'm telling you, in no time at all, I found myself actually doing all the things that I was practicing in my meditation. They were all coming alive. But I noticed that once they were naturally alive within me, that's when they were coming alive in my outer world. 
It seems so effortless, as if you couldn't even tell a difference between the two. Like, what is reality? I continued to practice this and was seeing results happen really, really fast. And I'm being guided through this entire process. It was as if I had this inner knowing, this inner voice, my intuition. It felt right to do this, as if I was coming into a remembrance. Right around this time was when I came across the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza. I looked into his work and what he was teaching, and I was amazed to find out that what he was teaching was very similar to the techniques that I was already doing. That got me thinking, wow, there's really something to this. I'm I'm definitely not the only one doing this. I started studying even more about this, read all the books I can get my hands on. Using my own discretion, I took what stuck and what was working for me, and I kept going. In my studies, I came across the works of Neville Goddard and the teachings of the Law of One. These spoke right to my soul and resonated so deeply. In these teachings, they too spoke about the number one cause of suffering being due to the perception of separateness. This made a lot of sense to me, also making something in me start to brew. It was like little pieces of the puzzle were all coming together. And then I found teachers like Wayne Dyer and Dolores Cannon, who spoke about feeling separate from God, from nature, from one another, from yourself. And what this did was wake me up to even more. It was like receiving the last piece of the puzzle. Like, wow. And this is when I went even deeper into my journey, into what I refer to as self-realization. It all made perfect sense. I had little small flashes of my life and the stories that I were told and teachings that I learned in church, teachings from my grandparents. And I felt my old perception merge with a complete new one, taking on a whole new meaning. So as I'm observing myself come into these realizations, I feel a sense of reconnection, reconnecting to all that there is, becoming more connected to my body, to my mind, to others, to nature, and I felt an overall sense of renewal. So through this reconnection to who I truly am was when my world shifted in ways beyond anything I could have imagined. Everything started to align. I blinked and was living a whole other life. I remembered that all there truly is in existence is God, and I am that. God is everything that you perceive in existence. God is the consciousness of each and every person experiencing life as an infinite expression of the one. And this God that we refer to is not the idea of God that I was raised to believe or thought of as someone outside of me or up in heaven. No, God is consciousness. And everything only exists within consciousness. And it is this perception that has allowed me to see God in a much grander way. And to also see that there is absolutely no separation. None whatsoever. Dissolving all my limitations. If you know the science today, which points to the same thing, confirming this truth, put that with the understanding of the teachings of all the great thinkers throughout history, 
and then you put that with every sacred text ever written, including the Bible, you start to see all the pieces fall into place, taking on a whole new meaning. And then you add all of the patterns of the universe, the rhythms of nature, with all the spiritual knowledge that you know and feel true inside yourself. Then suddenly, all of those illusions that you thought were real, they start to dissolve. I'm realizing that everything that I am, everything that I observe, although it appears solid or appears to be outside of me, it's only this one substance, consciousness, down to its most absolute the most purest form of intelligence, pure consciousness. And I am this. I am the mind of God experiencing itself. Like everything and everyone else around me, an individualized microcosm of the macrocosm, all connected to the greater whole. God is my very own human imagination. And whatever I experience in my imagination comes to life in my external world. It's fascinating and it's miraculous. It's pure love. Realizing this, feeling it deep to my core, turns out that everywhere I looked confirmed this truth. And it was all right there inside of me the whole time. I was just looking at things from a different perspective, so I couldn't see it. And it's not that it was wrong. I don't believe that there is one right way of seeing things. It's not wrong. It's not right. It just is. And that's the beauty of this human experience. But I do believe that it's how you perceive things which determines how you experience life and the direction it takes you. You can experience heaven or hell right here and right now. These are states of being, not places. And you can experience heaven right here and now. But the way there is within you. There inside you. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. And then it becomes all you do see. So this brings me to the reason why I choose to do this work. Standing fully healed from any illness that I had ever experienced, I practice being fully present and in the moment with a loving awareness of my existence and my expression of love and unity. It is my deepest desire to share these perspectives, to shine light on common illusions that can easily be mistaken for limitation, the common illusions that I myself mistaken for limitation and lack and pain and sickness, disease, anxiety, you name it. But limited, you are not. And as I continue on this path, my desire is to bring you along with me, share in these teachings with you, offering my loving guidance as you awaken to more of who you truly are, to heal, to expand, to express and experience all the love and abundance that you can imagine, literally. But it's already here, all right there inside you. In the midst of clearing out all the illusions of what isn't, there you'll find the truth of what is, the true light that all others can see. 
your one true Savior. Love.